0: How are you feeling today? Happy? Sad? Tired? Or perhaps lonely? The truth is, we've all been feeling a bit lonely these past two years. But loneliness is not an emotion that suddenly appeared during Covid. It's always been around and will affect every single one of us at some point during our lives. So why do so many of us struggle to admit that we're feeling lonely?
1: To admit sometimes that you're lonely is maybe to admit a neediness. I almost worry that people will immediately feel very worried about me or feel like they need to do something for me.
0: The pandemic has dispelled the myth that loneliness is only something older people experience. It can affect anyone at any age, even someone in their 20s with a very busy life. Someone like Emer McGovern.
1: Loneliness is not a nice feeling to experience. It's not that I'm sort of at the stage where I'm having very dark thoughts about my loneliness. It's a low-level feeling, you know, on a Saturday when you're thinking, well, maybe back in the day this would be when I'd meet someone for lunch or, you know, like when I'd go out for dinner or whatever.
0: I'm Sarah Chapalloch and this is In The News from The Irish Times. Today we ask, why are we so afraid to admit that we feel lonely? Eimear McGovern is assistant news editor with the Belfast Telegraph and last week penned an op-ed about that unspoken feeling that so many of us experience, but that often we just feel too embarrassed to speak about. Emer, you described last week in your column the moment that you realised you were experiencing loneliness. What led you to that realisation?
1: Well, when lockdown started, I was living in Belfast and I was living in a house share And my boyfriend at the time, and now fiance, he was living at home where we now live. And he decided, I'll move up to Belfast to live with you because we don't know what's going to happen in terms of not being able to see each other. The people who I'd lived with were both healthcare workers. They had moved back home to live with their families while the pandemic was going on. So he moved moved up to live with me in essentially a house share, and that was all fine. But after my lease was up on that, the pandemic was still going along. So we made the decision to move to somewhere a bit more rural, closer to beaches, and that we could have a bit more fresh air. And essentially that you wouldn't feel as much like you were in lockdown as you did in Belfast, where everything was just so quiet and almost eerie a lot of the time. So we moved up here and it was all fine because we were in lockdown. We were only spending time with each other anyway. We would go out on walks and we would call into his parents in the garden. But I suppose the thing with lockdown is that everyone was so isolated and there was almost community in that isolation. But when things started to open up, I think there was almost a mentality of, okay, I've moved somewhere new now, I've done this before, I'll make friends, I'll try and meet people in the gym or I'll meet people through whatever hobbies I can pick up or whatever things that I'm interested in. And I had realized throughout lockdown that where I'd moved to, the demographic was maybe a good bit older than what I'd been used to, you know, there might be people in their 50s and in their 60s and not that I'm ageist when it comes to friends and things, but I suppose I'm in my 20s and I probably would like to meet people in my 20s. So that probably led to a little bit of a panic moment for me. Like, Am I going to be able to make friends around here? I've moved up here and I've built a life for myself around here. And how is that? this all going to pan out? Because I have loads of friends, but they don't necessarily live near me. So when my partner is going out to meet his friends that he's had since he was a child, I'm sort of thinking oh I'd love to run into someone for a coffee or I'd like to meet someone to go for a walk and when my friends come and visit me now it's a lot more of an event someone has to make a big effort to come up and see me which is something I really appreciate but I also still wish that they just lived around the corner.
0: We're all probably guilty of conjuring up a a stereotypical image when we think of what a lonely person looks like what does that person look like and why do you think we do that?
1: Oh when you asked that question I was thinking um back about maybe a lot of uh, the things you would hear on the radio about people who are lonely and a lot of the time it might be someone who maybe um might be a bit older or maybe, you know, their spouse has died or their children don't come to visit them anymore, or they're people who sort of created their own isolation in a way. And I suppose as someone my age I'm very busy. I have a very big family who I speak to all the time. I have a partner and I have hobbies, but that doesn't necessarily mean that because I have a very busy life and a lot of the time I don't have maybe the time or the freedom to meet people that I would like that I still don't need support. And people who are very busy still need to be able to talk to people and to have friends and that it's not necessarily the people who are lonely who've made a, delib- they've made a deliberate attempt to isolate themselves, which is a whole other story in itself. And those people also deserve connection. But I suppose what I'm trying to say is that you can sort of do everything right, quote unquote, and that you can still feel lonely. There was one thing
0: that struck me. In your article, you wrote that while you're willing to admit to your family and your partner that you might feel lonely, you still don't feel comfortable saying it to your
1: friends. Why do you think that is? It's difficult to explain. I would tell my friends a lot of things and I'm not shy to admit I'm quite an open person. I would try and be a lot of things to my friends and I hope that I'm a good friend and I try and you know, make myself available. I try and help people when I can, and I try and have that back and forth with the friendship that you would find in your own friendships is crucial. And I suppose the thing is, I don't want people to feel like they have to help me, if you know what I mean. And maybe that's not a healthy feeling because I would wish if one of my friends was lonely that they would tell me and that I could do something to help them. But I've always tried to be quite self-sufficient and just in the way that I've moved around. Whenever I felt lonely, I've tried to do something about it. And I suppose the things that I've done so far where I'm living now, I almost feel like they haven't worked or just it hasn't worked out the way that I would like. And I've been trying to meet people and things like that. So I suppose just maybe that fear of admitting it to people, but it's almost to admit maybe a sort of vulnerability that I'm not super comfortable with myself yet.
0: Why do you think that we as a society, though, struggle so much to think of a a young woman in her 20s as being
1: lonely? I think when you look at women and how your lives might go, like I'm getting married in a month and I had a hen party. And that's such a thing of being seen to be popular, being seen to have lots of friends and to always have something in the diary. I think it's almost more acceptable as a man for your only friend to be your wife or your partner And that's okay. It's acceptable for a man to say, well, I have five friends that I've had since I was in primary school. We go out, we play golf. We just talk about golf. We don't talk about our feelings. That's a culturally acceptable thing for men or to have a friend you go for pints with. And that's the only time you see them. But as women, you're sort of told lean on your friends, talk to your friends, rely on your friends. Always have something in the diary, go on a spa weekend with your friends and things like that. So, I think there's a lot of cultural capital placed on being seen to be a woman who's extremely popular and has been someone's bridesmaid at five weddings. Do you know that way? So, maybe that's part of that vulnerability being seen to say, oh, well, I'm actually the type of person that I prefer to have one good friend instead of 10 average friends.
0: You also mentioned in your column, Emir, that you experienced some loneliness when you were a child and a teenager. Could you give us an example of one of those times and, and how you dealt with it?
1: I'm an adopted adult, and when I was growing up, I definitely struggled with that a lot. Um, And that probably hindered me when it came to making attachments, maybe with friends. And I've always had quite solitary hobbies. I loved swimming when I was growing up. I loved reading. And those were quite, I was never part of a GAA team, for example. I was never into team sports and things like that. So I suppose when I was a child, I never had as many friends maybe as my siblings would have had. And maybe that's a part of my insecurity now about the whole loneliness thing, because I would find that I first experienced true happiness when I started working and started providing for myself and having a more independent life. I do have good friends now. It's just that I don't live near them.
0: Eimer, do you think attitudes to loneliness can change? How can we begin to lift the stigma around it?
1: Well. I see people say on social media, admitting that they feel lonely or that it's okay to admit struggling with your mental health these days where that wouldn't have been maybe as acceptable 10 years ago or even five years ago, maybe. So I suppose it's just talking about it and not feeling afraid to admit it. And I'm part of that myself. Like I should admit to my friends that I feel lonely and not be afraid of that knee-jerk reaction of, oh, well, I'll come up and see you next week. I would never like to um, put pressure on people, I suppose, that way. Maybe part of creating genuine friendships is feeling okay about admitting those things and feeling okay with knee jerk reactions or feeling okay maybe with people wanting to help you. And you do see a lot more of that sort of supportive community on social media and on Instagram and things like that these days, maybe.
0: Coming up public health expert who says tackling loneliness should be made a political priority. Roger O'Sullivan is the Director of Ageing Research and Development at the Institute of Public Health in Ireland. I want to step back, Roger, and ask What was the conversation about loneliness like before COVID-19 and pandemic? It feels to me like the assumption a few years ago was that loneliness really was only something that impacted older people and then suddenly we're all locked up in our homes and I think that perception changed.
2: So for many years, loneliness was seen as a problem, particularly among older people. It was seen as like a, a natural part of growing older and then It started being framed as a public health issue that could impact anyone of any age. But actually what the pandemic meant was that many more people gained a personal insight in what it means to be lonely or socially isolated. And it challenged the perception of who is lonely and why are they lonely and what is loneliness like.
0: How much worse do you think the problem actually became during the pandemic or was it always underlying? If, if we look at
2: say CSO data say 2018 data a question such as how often do you feel lonely in the last four weeks that's uh, the CSO question. In 2018 about 4% which is a notable figure said they felt lonely all or most of the time. 63% said percent said they felt lonely none of the time. So then you go into the early stage of the pandemic, and that all or most of the time jumps from 4 to 7%. And then you go to November 2020, and that figure has jumped to 14%. So you can see the change that happened during that period.
0: There are different types of loneliness, right? I mean, some are emotional, some are social. Can you talk me through, Roger, your understanding of the different types of loneliness we experience?
2: When I think of loneliness, I think about it in three different ways. Social loneliness, it's the absence of a connection with friends, neighbours and colleagues. Emotional loneliness is the absence of a significant other with whom you have a close emotional attachment. You know, that very trusted person that you have the The conversation was that you mightn't have with everybody else. And then the third part is existential loneliness. It's a sense of longing that cannot be achieved through any type of social interaction. Despite having solid relationships, you still feel lonely.
0: That brings me on to my next question, actually, which is what have you found to be the long term implications of loneliness, both when it comes to mental, but also physical health.
2: Okay. So, for about 30 years, the associations of loneliness with poor health and well-being have been well established. But let me give you an example that I think really should change how we think about loneliness and our implications for our health. Traditionally, we think that frail people become lonely. So, that's that was the traditional perception. But a a paper published last year in The Lancet that used longitudinal data over 12 years showed that actually lonely people become frail. So it's important to understand the health implications of loneliness and to really take it seriously.
0: You wrote last week, Roger, in an editorial that was published by the British Medical Journal that a public health approach to this loneliness among individuals and in society in general is really needed and that it should be a political priority. What should that look like? I think
2: public health provides a useful framework to help assess the causes and the consequences of loneliness, as well as the interventions that that could be really helpful. A public health approach is really focused primarily on prevention and population-based strategies and it's about looking at the root cause of loneliness. So if you think about addressing the root cause, it's about issues of poverty, education, inequalities, housing. I'm trying to look at those structural issues. What 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 are the risks at the structure level causes loneliness? I was involved in a, a study that looked at the risk factors for loneliness and social isolation, both before and during the pandemic. And this was a study that involved 20,000 people in 101 different countries. And we wanted to identify what were the common characteristics for those two aspects, loneliness and social isolation, before the pandemic and during the pandemic. And those people with inadequate finances and poor mental health were at increased risk of experiencing loneliness and social isolation. So we must recognise the social and economic component of addressing loneliness.
0: And what about the stigma that is undoubtedly still there around someone admitting that they feel lonely? How do we deal with that?
2: I think that's about protective measures, public awareness campaigns. Part of the issue here is that actually admitting to loneliness is very difficult. Having the conversation about loneliness can be challenging. In some Scandinavian countries, they recognise that not everyone lives with other people, and you go out for a meal in some restaurants. So they have the situ- they have the the setup where if you go onto a restaurant and uh, you want to have a chat with other people, they have the conversation table. So you think about how can we support people to connect? How can we make connecting easy?
0: So Roger, how much does technology, which plays such a huge role in all of our lives these days, actually contribute to feelings of loneliness? And what can people do to step away from that feeling?
2: If you think about the role of technology, technology has made things very easy. So you can sit on your sofa now And you can, you can, um, type your emails. You can order your shopping. You can buy your insurance. You can get your food delivered to your door. But we must challenge those aspects and think about, well, does it mean that I actually can connect with others? We think about how do we design communities that actually provide space where people can connect? How do we design cities? people can connect easily. Those different parts are important to think about. So part of the issue is connecting with others, spending time building and developing your own connections and and reaching out. You can recognize if you're feeling lonely, that it's an emotion that you can take action. You can try to learn something new, learn a language with others, learn to paint, learn to dance you can try to challenge yourself and I particularly like the idea of volunteering because it might help others but actually it might help you as well
0: Roger, thanks so much for your time today Thank you That's all for today. My thanks to our guests, Emer McGovern and Roger O'Sullivan. Today's episode was produced by Suzanne Brennan and Jennifer Ryan. In the news, we'll be back on Wednesday.